just from the narrative of the author, but you try to look at it from a different perspective. Perhaps someone was in the crowds. Perhaps it was one of the components of the story. But I chose not to attempt to spin a text today. Sometimes you just need to let the text be. Sometimes just the simplicity of just reading the Scripture. And I want to just let you know today that I'm going to let the Scripture speak to you more than I'm going to today. Now, my voice is going to echo these Scriptures, but it's going to be the Scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, is, there's two texts I've chosen today. 1 Corinthians 15 is our beginning text, and we're just going to let it unfold in front of us here for a few moments. 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul is writing here, and we're going to just simply journey down and just let it unfold. This is from the King James English of the translation of the Scriptures. But I want you to just listen and let it write on the tablet of your, of your heart today. You know why you're here. You know that we're, in essence, celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But what's that, how's that going to be worked out in your faith? How you, how's that going to be? What's that going to do inside of you? Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I have preached unto you. So Paul's saying, I've declared unto you the gospel. How many know the gospel is the, is the good news of the glad tidings of the kingdom of heaven? Amen. It's good news. Come on. When you think about what he accomplished at the cross, the preaching of the gospel is good news. If you sit in darkness and somebody shines a light upon you, that's good news. Come on. If your body is sick and somebody heals you, come on, that's good news, right? If you're in prison and somebody unlocks the door, they hold the key, that, that's good news. So the gospel, he said, I'm bringing this gospel that I have preached unto you. And he said, you have received it and wherein now you stand. And I'm trusting that's many in the listening audience today, that you have received this gospel and you're standing in this gospel and he's even alluding to by which also you are saved. In essence, what he's saying is based upon your receiving of this gospel, that's what has produced salvation in your life. That's what produces deliverance in your life. He said, by which you are saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you. And sometimes you need to go back and remind yourself of these principles Remind yourself, just as I did this week, going back and rereading the text of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, unless you have believed in vain. And now the Apostle Paul shifts and makes it very personal here to the Corinthians about his own ministry, reminding them of what he shared when he was among them. He said, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. Paul said, I received this. Now, if you know Paul's writing in the book of Corinthians, perhaps the second book especially, he writes in the context of revelation. He said, I received these things by revelation. God revealed these things to me. He opened my understanding. The apostle Paul was not one of the 12. He did not the apostle Peter in his epistle said, we did not write to you with cunningly devised fables. But he said, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. The apostle Peter could say, we were there with him. We walked with him and talked with him. We supped with him. We were on the Galilean seashore when he, when he multiplied or when he did miracles or walked on the water. We did. But the apostle Paul was not numbered amongst the, the twelve. And so he came, faith, added to the faith later, but God revealed to him the effects of Jesus' death on the cross. And notice this, though, with the great revelation that he writes by, he said, I received how that Christ died for our sins according to the... 
according to the scriptures. Fourth verse, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The basis of our belief today in Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection is that it was a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophetical scriptures concerning the Messiah. The Jewish people which knew the scriptures could not see Christ in the suffering servant role. When Isaiah said, I saw one bruised and beaten and broken, one that would expend himself that would be numbered with the transgressors. They, they couldn't foresee the Messiah that way. But you and I, reading through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, we can see that in the first advent of Jesus, he did not come as a conquering king, but he came as a suffering servant, and he came to give his life's blood as a ransom for all. And we can see this today. And we understand that, again, the, the, the doctrine of his death, burial, and resurrection was prophesied in the Scriptures. But here's what's so awesome about the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus also validates the Scriptures. It validates the teachings that Jesus himself taught. Because you remember what Jesus said about his death? Jesus said, no man taketh my life from me. I'm telling you, no man other than Christ can make that statement. He said, no man takes my life from me. You say, well, pastor, I thought the Jews, sometimes the apostles seem to indicate that the Jews killed Jesus. Well, you might think that, then sometimes it seems to indicate that the Romans killed Jesus. But Jesus said, no man can take my life from me. He said, from God, I have the power to lay it down. Come on, he laid it down freely. And he said, with confidence, and if I lay it down, I'm going to take it up again. Right? And he took it up again, just like he said. And so today, you and I, we trust that he rose again according to the scriptures. Now, then Paul begins to give dialogue towards Jesus. His appearances, the appearances of Jesus. He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. And always not in necessarily order. And after that, he was seen of about 500 brethren at one time. We don't really have a biblical reference to this. 500 brethren, possibly that was on the Mount of Olives, the day that he was lifted up into heaven. We don't know, but we have at least 500 men and women saw him with their physical eye. Amen. Perhaps they were in the crowd that had uh, brought him into Jerusalem on the triumphal entry and, and then watched him uh, die on the cross and now they're celebrating his resurrection. 500 men and women of whom the greater part Paul said, remain unto this present. That meant at that time you could go in Jerusalem. You could go around this Jerusalem into the cities around and you could find somebody that had physically with their own eye actually seen Jesus Christ after his resurrection. I mean, an actual testimony more than just by faith. Now, remember what Jesus told um, Thomas. He said, when Thomas said, unless I touch his wounds, I will not believe. You remember that? He said, unless I put my hand in his hand, unless I put my hand in his side, I will not believe. And then when Jesus appeared to them the second time there in Galilee, and he said, Thomas, here, here's my hand, touch me. Touch me and see and feel. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, Thomas, he said, because thou hast seen, thou hast believed. But blessed are those. Uh-oh. Come on. But blessed are those who have not seen, yet we believe. Come on, somebody. And I have never seen him with a physical eye. 
He's never appeared to me from when I lived in Wilburn as a child, when I was in the Air Force, or when I was in uh, Shirley pastoring or here uh, at Heber Springs. I cannot tell you that Christ in the person has actually physically appeared to me, and I've been able to reach out and touch him, but I still believe. Come on, somebody. I still believe. And so he says, but some are falling asleep, but some are alive. So there was a physical, tangible witness. And that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And then he said, and last of all, he was seen of me on the Damascus road when Jesus appeared to Saul of Tarsus as he made his way to Damascus with letters to take the Christians into captivity for their faith in Christ. He said, I'm the least of the apostles. I am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I mean, I can echo that today, can't you? Come on. I am what I am by the grace of God. His grace which was bestowed upon me, it was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach... And so you believe the power of preaching. Romans 10th chapter. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach. Come on, somebody. The good news of the gospel. The beautiful power of the gospel being preached and shared. Now he said, but then Paul begins to shift. And this is some of the dialogue for the next 16 verses. I want to begin to shift your attention and just read it because point number one will be extracted from verses 12 through verses 17. And I want you to see this because you have to have this woven into your faith if you believe. You have to have the effects of this one principle that I'm going to mention to you today. Let's look at it just very carefully in the 12th verse. He said, now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead... How say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? So in the Corinthian church, even those that were professing faith in Christ, there were some that had a belief, a skewered belief that there was not going to be a resurrection. Not just even a resurrection in Jesus, but a general resurrection. Now, we've highlighted in days gone by that the Jews believed in a resurrection, except for a faction of the Jews, the Sadducees. And I would be sad, you see, if I didn't believe in a resurrection. Come on, somebody. And they don't believe in a resurrection. And so now, Paul, that doctrine has penetrated the church. And so Paul is, in essence, he is arguing against the belief that there is not going to be a general resurrection. It says, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then he puts the contrast. Then is Christ be not risen if there's no resurrection? And then he said, so if Christ is not risen, then is our preaching vain. So let me tell you today that if Christ is not resurrected, then no matter how many churches all around the world that are holding very special Easter services or sunrise services, and no matter whether they have a Christ, whether they have an Easter cantata or whether they have a play or whether they're showing a film, it does, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is vain. There's no validity to it at all. Then we have no value, no impact. And also, guess what? Then your faith is also vain. Then it's superficial. It's just it's put, you put your faith in something that has no strength behind it. He said, yea, and look at this. And beyond that, then we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ. Whom you say, he says, whom he raised not up according to your theology, he say, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead do not rise, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and you are yet in your sins. Amen. 
if Christ be not raised. And then, think about this. Then they which also are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. And look what Paul said. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. So Paul took the belief system of some in the Corinthian church that there was no resurrection, contrasted it in the context of the fact that if there is no resurrection, then Jesus is not raised. And if Jesus is not raised, then you are yet in your sins. And then he culminated in saying, if we only have faith in Christ, if there is no afterworld, if there is no afterlife, if there, if there is no resurrection, if there is no eternal life in God, then we are of all men. Then Paul, suffering for his faith in Christ, being beaten and wounded and being, you know, shipwrecked and being stoned and being tattered and torn. He said, we are of all men, but we have put our faith in a superficial story that has no validity if Christ is not resurrected. But guess what, church family? Based upon the word of God. I have a confidence in my spirit today to tell you that there is an empty tomb outside Jerusalem today that you can visit and you can stand in line and wait for the pilgrims to go in in front of you. And there you can look at the cold, hard concrete where they laid the lifeless body of Jesus there. And day one came and day two came. But on the third day, come on somebody, an angel from God came down, rolled the stone away and sat upon it, awaiting the women that came to embalm his body and they said these faithful words why seek ye the living among the dead for he is not here for he is risen as he said he would I don't know about you I, when I hear that truth it gives my heart faith and joy and hope and peace and today I believe not only in his resurrection but I believe in a resurrection you know why I believe in a resurrection because the Bible says this look at the 20th verse now, but now, Paul said, I'm here to tell you, Paul said, I could just see if he had just a little bit of, you know, I don't know what that is when you snap your finger and kind of, I could say it, but I won't say it here today. If he did, but he said, but now is Christ risen from the dead. Look at this. He's become the first fruits of them that sleep. So let me tell you, it wasn't just one resurrection. It was the beginning of the resurrections. Oh, I love that right there. It was the beginning of the resurrection. Now, this is so critical. Put this in contrast to the 18th verse. Then they which are fallen asleep, according to your doctrine, are perished. They are like animals that have laid in the ground without an eternal soul. They are gone, dissipated. They're nowhere to be found in any spectrum of life, in eternity or into the natural, the, the, the natural realm. But he said, but because Christ is resurrected, then he is the first fruits. The first fruits of the resurrection. I love this. Let's go further. For since by man came death. And how many of you know death came by man? By one man. Romans 5. Death entered the world. And death by sin. By death came by man. But he said, and so therefore, he said, since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Oh, that's good right there. For as in Adam all died. See, we all died. Every man that was born of Adam was destined to die. Right? But, he said, however, in Christ, if you are in Christ, every man, woman, boy, and girl shall be made alive, quickened by the power of God. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. Come on, the firstfruits. 
Remember what the scripture says, Jesus by his own mouth in the gospel of John. He said that unless, he said, if the, the corn of wheat abides alone, he said, but if, if it's fallen to the ground, it will bring forth a great harvest. Amen. How many of you know when God wanted to bring many sons and many daughters unto glory, he sowed his son into the earth, sealed it for three days, and on the first day, come on, of the week, come on, somebody, the first fruits of resurrection came out of the ground. Afterward, they that Christ at his coming. And then he said, come at the end. When he shall deliver up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he hath put down all rule, all authority, and power. For he must reign until he hath put all enemies under his feet. And notice this 26th verse, because that's where we're going to stop and transition real quickly. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Now, let me take a moment of time. Notice the wording here, the Apostle Paul. See, death is not yet destroyed in that context. It's not destroyed, but it is defeated. You missed a great place to say amen. Death is done because we are still subject to the carnal nature of man that we're going to yet die unless we are alive at the return of Christ. But there will come a day when death will be abolished. There will come a day when it's destroyed. But it may not be destroyed, but it is defeated. It doesn't have power over us today. We're not in bondage to the fear of death any longer. Hebrews says that when Christ came, he delivered men and women from the fear of death. Now, you and I today, we need to hear this. We don't talk enough about eternity in today's modern contemporary church. We've settled for an abundant life rather than living in the strength of eternal life. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? Listen, my abundant life flows from the strength of eternal life that flows on the inside of me. Remember what Jesus said to Martha when she was kind of whining about her brother's death there at Bethany when Lazarus four days dead and when Jesus said Martha your brother will rise again and she said well I know he's going to rise at the resurrection I'm not a Sadducee from that point of view I'm not a Sadducee I believe in the resurrection he's going to rise again remember what Jesus said he said Martha I am the resurrection and the life he that believeth in me, though where he were dead, yet shall he live. Come on, somebody. And so today, we have a great hope and a promise because God's taken the fear of death. I'm not saying that we don't have the fear of the dying process. I know that we fight against it. It's still an enemy that we resist. I know that when sickness comes or tragedy comes and, and we still suffer the trauma of death. We still suffer. But I'm telling you what, for the believer... For the believer, death does not hold victory over us. But because we are in Christ, we have victory over death. Come on, somebody. And so, Paul, for the sake of time, I omitted some of the weightier matters of this context. Let's leap ahead to the 51st verse in the same passage of Scripture. So, Paul reminding the, the Corinthian people of a change that would be worked at the resurrection of the just. He said, now I'm going to show you a mystery. We will not all sleep, which means we were not going to all die. There will be some alive at his return. Come on. Maybe we're that generation. Maybe we are that people group that Paul was referencing. He said, we shall not all sleep. We will not have all succumbed to death. But when that moment happens, we will all be changed. What is that change? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, 
At the last trump, he said, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And look what happens. And we shall be changed. You say, Pastor, what's the change? This corruptible is going to put on incorruption. This mortal is going to put on immortality. Come on, somebody. We're talking about a change that it's hard for our finite mind to grasp. A season, a situation of change in which by the power of God, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, in that moment of time, he quickened my mortal body and then whether I'm alive and yet remain until the coming of the Lord or whether I've already succumbed to the grave in that moment of time whether or not that I've been dead for a hundred years or two hundred years there's no bones no skeleton nothing but dust in that moment of time the voice that called man out of the earth in the genesis of time will echo through the trumpet of God and it will call man into existence and his spirit that has resided with him from the day of your death will suddenly be rejoined together and and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And it is to comfort us when we think about the glorious work of the power of his resurrection. So when this corruptible, here's our song that we're going to sing in that day. When this corruptible shall I put on incorruption. And when this mortal shall I put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that Isaiah wrote hundreds of years earlier. That death is swallowed up in victory. Come on somebody. That will be our song. Oh death. Look what he said. Where is thy sting? Oh grave. Where is thy victory? Glory to God. And you say, Pastor Brown, then what is the point? What is this thing that I need to have in my heart? What do I need to realize as a believer? What is the point of this context that you have spoken from today? Point number one is simple. You and I need to possess, possess hope in the resurrection. Hope in the resurrection. As Christians, church family, we will never be without hope. Because as he lives. Now in the church, we don't like to talk about these things. We for some reason think they're morbid. Think that these are reserved for the moment when grandma has aged and she's passed away. And you have to go into the nursing home and, 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 and be there as they take her body out. No, no, let me tell you. Death is no respecter of persons. Death doesn't care whether you're old or young. Rich or poor, male or female, black or white, doesn't care. It's no respecter of persons. It's an enemy that fights against us all. But you and I, you know what we have? We have hope. We have hope in the resurrection that one day, one day, I don't know when it's going to be. I don't know when the trump's going to sound. But let me tell you, I believe that that trump will sound one day. And our conquering king shall return, come on somebody, and raise us up to be with him. And if we had read from 1 Thessalonians, it said, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort you one another with these words. It comforts my soul today to know that I have hope in Christ. You know, for a child of God, going into eternity is simply like passing through a doorway while we wait the resurrection of our physical bodies. So today, in your spirit, in your heart, as a believer, you need to possess the hope of the resurrection. It needs to give you strength, courage. It needs to give you an ability to move and to function in this life, knowing, knowing that even though you are one heartbeat away from eternity, you have the promise of resurrection. Come on, church family. Come on, that's good right there. Paul said others don't have this hope. See, they'll be raised again 
to the second death where they'll be cast into a lake that burneth with fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. But you and I will be reunited with our Savior and with God's eternal family and God's eternal kingdom. Come on, somebody, where we'll worship him and give him glory. So today, if you don't have it, you need it. You need the hope of the resurrection. Number two, a few short verses. We're going to put a contrast to it. Two things you need to know that comes to you through the revelation of Jesus' resurrection today. Romans, the sixth chapter, and then we'll conclude right here. I've been preaching right at about 26 minutes today. So stay with me for just a few short minutes. This will not be as lengthy, and then we'll conclude today. I know that when I chose these two passages, feeling led of the Holy Spirit to do so, I did not in any capacity attempt to prepare a sermon. All of my kids said, Dad, did you get your sermon prepared? I said, no. I didn't prepare a sermon. I prepared a preacher. Y'all don't understand what that means. This is the word of God. I just need to share it. I just need to read it. You need to have a faith in the resurrection according to the scriptures. Point one, hold it deep in your heart. Possess the hope of the resurrection. We have to live more than for the temporal. We have to live for the eternal. Live Live with eternity in mind. I so grieve with our culture in America today because we live for the temporal. We live for the gratification and the satisfaction of the moment rather than the, the contemplation of eternity. And eternity, we're all going to be confronted with it one day. We're going to be confronted with death and where we will spend eternity. The hope of Jesus' resurrection gives me a confidence that I'll be welcomed in his eternal kingdom. Do you possess that today? I hope so. Number two today. Through this passage, let's just look at it. It'll take about 10 to 15 minutes, and I'll be finished, and I'll let you out of here, and we'll go right to the dinner fellowship. But what shall we say then? Sixth verse of the first, or sixth cha- uh, chapter, first verse. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, one person said no. Come on. How I many know that's the obvious answer? But let's let it unfold in front of us here and see what there's. See if there's something. Because... Sin is something that we still deal with even as Christians. Is that right? The desire to sin. This is not going back and retracing the context of all this book of Romans written uh, about the, 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 the sin nature of man. But just real quickly, just you and I, even though we're born again, we have the life of God dwelling on the inside of us. We still have an appetite to sin in our flesh, right? Carnal desires in our flesh. You know, the moment you were saved, your spirit was redeemed, but your flesh is waiting that resurrection, so, therefore, we must learn to mortify his appetites, correct? Come on, that's the process of discipleship, growth, sanctification, maturity, and faith. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And I want our church family, I can't judge you compared to other churches, but uh, sometimes I watch Christian television, I see such a shallow, I hear such a shallow teaching. And we're raising up a shallow generation of believers. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? I don't want to be found guilty of raising up a shallow church. I want you to understand God wants maturity in your life. He wants you to overcome as he overcame. 
So let's go just a little bit further. God forbid, there's the answer, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? He'll explain what he means. Know ye not. So now he uses the analogy of baptism, and maybe this is more than just water baptism, and it's actually being baptized into Christ. But anytime you use the word baptism in the natural, you always pick up the context of water baptism. So we have a comparison here in this context. As you were baptized into Jesus Christ, you were baptized into his death. So here's a component because when we water baptize somebody, we say you were buried with Jesus and you were raised again to newness of life. So it's putting ourselves in context with that particular moment that when Christ was laid in the tomb, we were in him. And so we were in the tomb. So we died. And as he was raised up, so are we raised up. So that's the context that Paul is sharing. Let's read it down further. You've got to hear this. Don't shut me off. Don't cut me off right now. But think for just, don't pull your cell phone out. Don't be turning to Facebook. Don't be on safari trying to find out what the weather's going to be like tomorrow. Stay for a few more minutes emotionally connected to this sermon because every one of you need to hear what I got to say. Every one of you need to hear what this scripture says. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. My God, I ought to run right there. So what he's saying is, if you come to the realization that you were dead and buried with Christ, that when he came up out of the grave, come on, and that you've been made a new creature in Christ Jesus, then you ought to be able to walk differently than you did before. Man, I feel that right there. Let's go further. He said, so if you and I have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be planted in essence in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Read further. That the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth, I love this right here. We should not serve. Oh, there it is. Pastor, I knew you was going to get to it. You're one of those old hellfire and brimstone preachers. Always criticize, always talking about sin. I want you to make the world real fluffy and pretty. I can't do that for you today. Sin is still present in the world. And sin is still present in your life until you learn to mortify it. Come on, and conquer it through what? Let's go down. I want to just, how do I conquer the desire to sin? How, where do I get the strength to overcome my carnal appetites? Because Paul would later write in the seventh chapter, he said, there are times, he said, when the, that which I desire to do, I do it not. The, that is, which I desire not to do, I find myself doing. Have you ever been there? Right? And so here Paul is saying, notice this, if we are dead with Christ, we believe that we also shall What? Come on, we're going to live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, let's read it on. We're going to close at the 14th verse. He died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. 11th verse. Likewise, reckon, accounting term. It's been a, as a, the same as accounted. It's the same word when it says that it was accounted unto Abraham righteousness. That means that in Romans 3 when, when Paul said it was accounted unto Abraham righteous. He wasn't righteous, but God just said, I'm going to count you as righteous. God had the books and God had the ability to manipulate the books. So God said, Abraham's not righteous, but I'm going to count you as righteous. So here in your life, you say, I count myself to be dead to sin. But I'm alive unto God through Jesus Christ. 
So every day in your life, you say, how should a born-again believer in Jesus Christ in the hope of his resurrection live? We live that we count ourselves dead to sin, but alive unto God. I count myself dead to my carnal appetites, to hatred and jealousies, come on, to envy and maliciousness, to all the works of the flesh I'm dead to. But I'm alive to God that I might serve him with a clean and a pure heart, worshiping God. The old man is dead and buried. See, you used to be a fornicator. You used to be an adulterer. Come on, you used to stand in condemnation. You used to be embittered of soul. But now in Christ Jesus, come on, you've been made free by the power of Jesus' shed blood, Delivered and the power of Christ dwells inside of you and you have been redeemed and you can live life differently. Why? Because of the power of Jesus' resurrection. Let's close. Let's close. Who's joining me? Daryl, join me up here to close. Likewise, reckon yourself dead. I'm going to give you point two in just a moment. Alive unto God through Jesus Christ and do not, what? Let not reign in where? That you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. Are you alive from the dead today? I'm telling you, I feel I'm alive from the dead. Come on, I died in Christ, but I've been raised again to walk to newness of life. Life is altogether different, different for you and I. We're closing, look at this as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. You're not under the law. You're under grace. So if I were to give you point number two, before I close today, point one, the power of his resurrection, his, the power of his victory over death. How shall it be realized in the life of a believer? No matter whether you're male or female, old or young, what do you need? You need to have the hope of his resurrection. Every day inside of you, you need to live your life with the hope of, your, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because it strengthens you. It strengthens your faith to know that when this body, this frail, temporal flesh fails, come on somebody, then I have a habitation of God reserved for me, eternal in the heavens. Come on somebody. That one day there'll be a resurrection and I'll step from mortal to immortal corruptible to incorruptible by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so therefore I can live my life in confidence and hope, not intimidated by death. Death is like Goliath yelling at you from the other side of the valley, mocking you and belittling you, intimidating you. That's why Hebrews 2 says we were in fear of it all the days of our life. We're in fear of it until what? Until Christ came out of the grave and when he came out of the grave, he took with him the fear of death, took it away, and now because he lives, I know one day I'm going to live also. And so it gives me great confidence. You, no matter whether you're young or old, whether you know the Scriptures well or you're new, you need to have that in your faith. This is much better than some little message about an Easter. That I can live in newness of life. I'm not held in the bondage of addiction. I'm not held to the bondage of lust. I was an adulterer, but I don't, I'm not now. I was a fornicator. I'm not now. I was an addict, but I'm not now. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? That because of Jesus' resurrection, if we were to add to it, time will not allow me but I'll, to read it, but I'll just quote it. In Romans 8, it says, If the same Spirit 
that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. He will quicken your mortal body. He'll make it alive. You can live this Christian life. You can walk this Christian way. You can. Not in your own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit that's on the inside of you when you put your faith in Christ. Every day, you'll get stronger in the Lord. Every day, you'll mortify the old man, putting to death. Every day, you'll learn how to live and to love and to walk by faith and not by sight. The power of the Holy Spirit that's in you today as a result of Jesus' resurrection gives you the strength and the knowledge that you can overcome the power of sin. So as I sat down to prepare my heart before the Lord, my thoughts were just kind of resounding with two, just two points is all I had. God just dropped two little nuggets in my spirit. I'm just a delivery person. That's all I'm here to do. Sometimes through the week we have FedEx. Sometimes we have UPS. Sometimes it's the mailman. He comes in, he just brings the package. All I've come to do is just bring you the package today. His resurrection, his resurrection and his victory over death should be realized in your life. So if you don't remember anything about today, if you don't remember the songs that Shane sung, if you don't remember a text I chose, if you don't remember anything about the meal or the fellowship or anything, if you'll just remember that it's realized in your life, number one, by giving you the hope of resurrection. And number two, you've got power over sin. You are not in bondage to sin because of his resurrection. If you catch those two things and you walk out of here today, that's better than anything else I could give you so today I'm going to conclude the sermon by just asking you if you would to bow your heads with me and let's pray taking just a moment of time on this resurrection morn this Sunday morning that we call Easter Sunday churches all across the world are celebrating the resurrection of our Savior we've had a marvelous service of the presence of God in worship in exhortation and in prayer certainly I felt him in preaching he was here he was here by his spirit Jesus walked to and fro in the aisles of this church confirming his word expressing his presence through the Holy Spirit now he gives us this moment right here he gives us this moment that I might have an opportunity if there is a person under the sound of my voice that has not expressed faith in Christ Jesus Remember the text in 1 Corinthians 15? Paul said, if you believe, the key to this power of resurrection life is you believing. You believe. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Brown, I have never put my faith and my trust. I've never come to God in a way that says, I need Jesus as my Savior. But today... As you've preached in my heart, my heart's been open. And today I want to receive him as my Savior. If that's you, have the courage to raise your hand. I'll pray with you right where you're at, right where you are. So right now, I'm taking just a moment. Is there anyone? There's about 230, 40 people in this building. Is there anyone among us today that says, Pastor, I, I want to give my heart and my life. I want to believe in Jesus Christ making my commitment to him today. Is there anyone today I'm praying? I'm waiting for you. I've asked God for this moment. I've asked him to bless this moment. 
Is there anyone I wait? I wait for just a moment. I'll give you just a moment of time. I'm not going to rush you. I'm just giving you that moment. Is there anyone? I'm going to ask our church family to stand today, and we're going to pray closing prayer today, prayer blessing. It's 12-12 this morning. I thank you so much for your attention and your willingness to hear the word of God.